Welcome to episode 265. Do you ever feel that feeling of being totally stuffed, full of food, but still find yourself swinging on the door of the fridge thinking, I'm not really sure what I want. I probably don't need it, but I'm not done yet. It turns out that whether you're vegan, carnivore, low carb or keto might not actually matter at all in the context of weight loss and overeating because it turns out that feeling full, aka feeling satiated, is a specific combination of macronutrients, micronutrients and electrolytes. And when we meet those quotas, it means that you lose interest in eating food for several hours. And on this episode, we talk about exactly that. So if you're challenged by overeating or not sure how much you need to eat in order to lose weight, this might be the podcast for you. We also yap on about the percentage of protein you should be eating in your meals, how on earth vegans and fruitarians survive on such low-protein diets, and also something completely from left field. We talk about how artificial intelligence, specifically ChatGPT, is impacting the nutrition world. There's lots of good stuff in this one, so let's get into it. Welcome to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. You've tuned in because you want to start taking your health seriously, so you don't, well, get sick and die. Here we talk all things health, nutrition, and human optimization. Let's jump into it with your host and resident scientist, Maddie Lansdowne. What's up, my healthy friends? Here we are for another episode of mind-melting, brain-busting information from not me, but definitely today's guest, whom if you're Australian and you're in the nutrition world, you probably see this particular gentleman as part of the furniture. And well, even if you're not an Aussie, this guy is all over town and right at the forefront of nutritional progress. Now in 2023, it's my mission to coach 500 people to stop the binge eating and savage self-talk cycle so they can lose weight whilst feeling in control and without restriction along the way. And much of the up-to-date information and interpretations of nutritional data that I absorb to be able to teach you, I actually learn from this man's work, fellow Aussie, Mr. Marty Kendall whom is an engineer who seeks to optimize nutrition using a data-driven approach. Marty has been sharing his learnings at optimizingnutrition.com and has developed nutrient optimizer and data-driven fasting to guide people through their journey of nutritional optimization. Who doesn't want that? And he's also been here before on episode 167 and alongside fellow nutrition amazing wellness expert Karen Martell on episode 198 and episode 206. So once you're done, go and check those three out. Uh, Marty, welcome back to the show, mate. How you been? Awesome, buddy. Great to chat again. Looking forward to catching up. It's just going to be two old mates just talking. Yeah. Whatever. I was going to say crap, but I can't say that in your podcast. Oh, you, yeah, absolutely. You time, so it doesn't matter. I can drop F-bombs all over the place. You can drop whatever you like. We have so many episodes that have got uh, expletive warnings. <laughs> Been loving your work. I mean, great, great podcast, little bite-sized snippets, snacks of good good material. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, I added those in this this year. I'm motivated every day in the gym. Yeah, yeah. I added those in this year as a bit of a – a few clients suggested it actually. They were like, yeah. oh, maybe you should like show more of your coaching style. And I was like, all right, let's give this a go. <laughs> cool. So what have you been up to? What's going on in your world? Yeah, living the dream as I was saying and um, yeah, got – 8,000 people in a little optimizing community. So that just keeps me super busy and nerding out with number crunching over on the side going, you know, I found this new data to analyze and dig into to try and yeah, understand how nutrition works actually rather than, yeah, social media dogma. <laughs> yeah, social media nutrition is something else. Well, and it goes in so many iterations. It's yeah. like every couple of years there's a new idea. 
and it's uh, everybody goes super hard on that and then the next group of influencers are the group of influencers that disprove the thing from the last few years <laughs> they, they, they pushed the previous extreme to the till it broke and then they found a new extreme to rebalance it to swing to the other extreme <laughs> it's like well we've all got whiplash here in nutrition world that's <laughs> so accurate like yeah it was it was keto we were joking before it was keto for a while and then you know, there's the carnivore movement and then the hardcore protein movement and yeah. like all of those. And I guess before we get into it too, maybe um, just for everybody that might be new to your work, like can you give some context around what got you into this world and sort of tell everyone a little bit about yourself, uh, you know, with the type sure. 1 diabetes stuff and whatnot? Yeah. Um, engineer by day, um, married Monica, who's type 1 diabetic, 18 months ago. 17-year-old son became type 1 diabetic. But, yeah, since we started to think about having kids, started to get very interested in nutrition and insulin and blood sugar, as you would as an engineering nerd, and just said this is a numbers problem. How do I solve it with data and bigger spreadsheets and more information to understand what works for most people most of the time using data rather than dogma? Um, yeah, it's just been a fascinating journey and fell into a rabbit hole and uh, made great friends like Maddie in Melbourne and people all over the world. So it's great. You know, for about, I don't know, 15 years now, people's autocorrect in their phone uh, put me out as Marty. I get called Marty in text (laughs) message all the time. So (laughs) I feel like this awesome meeting was meant to happen. (laughs) You just want to be Marty, is that right? (laughs) You should be Marty. You should move to Queensland and we could like... Well, I'm thinking about it. I need a doppelganger. <laughs> I'm just going to lose some melanin, I think. Uh, I've I've definitely described you as um, somebody I think was talking to me and they were like, are you Marty or Maddie? And I was like, no, Marty's the nutritional big brother in Australia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're the positive uh, thinking guru and habit formation. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. So going back to that social media dogma, what is the latest thing in your world that is being either proven or disproven? Oh, yeah. Um, I was just saying we've been, uh, my friends, Ted Naiman, Andreas Einfeld, have been getting into helping people find satiety. It's like a come to Jesus moment. And yeah, it's just interesting to see out there how that concept has been received. And um, yeah, it's been something I've been passionate about for a long time, just basically helping people to manage the hunger, control how much they eat without having to track every morsel and count calories. So satiety per calorie is all about just feeling less hungry while consuming less energy without feeling as hungry and without having to track all your food and track and limit. And so it sort of changes the paradigm from let's limit and restrict to let's eat better so we don't need to eat as much and we don't want to eat as much and then all those magical downstream things of weight loss and improved metabolic health and blood sugars and everything else that you talk about um, that flows from poor metabolic health flows along. But yeah, it's just been interesting to see it play out on the big screen in uh, Twitter world and the reaction to it. So yeah, it's been a fun fun to be uh, part of that and uh, chatting to those guys and, and playing the game. So yeah. I've been reading your satiety stuff for years now, but it's interesting that it feels like, as you just sort of said, like a couple of people are catching up and a few others are sort of coming to the party. Yeah. Is, is Did this come for you out of the whole like protein leverage conversation where the for a while there it was very much that, you know, it started with keto, fat's the most important thing for satiation. And then 
we sort of saw the, the shift across to no proteins, the most important thing for satiation. Is that the path that you took to then looking at satiation on its own outside yeah, of those two ideas? I, I heard all the keto gurus talking about just eat fat to satiety. And I thought, well, I've eaten enough butter and bacon and drink my MCT oil like a good little Dave Asprey fan. <laughs> I'll, I'll get my ketones really high and magically lose all this weight, right? I'll um, be able to turn off my pancreas like my wife and now son, but, you know, eventually realize that that's the worst thing. You you know, you don't want no pancreas. Trust me. Trust me on that. You don't want to turn off your pancreas. And the way to reduce your insulin is to find a way of eating less. So that's where I dove into the data to say what are the quantitative factors that align with eating less. And a higher protein percentage for most people, unless you're a fruititarian eating no fruit, uh, no protein is going to be the dominant factor for satiety. But as I've dove into the data more recently, added 150,000 days of data to from the NHANES data set from the average American to my 150,000 days of optimizer data um, to do a bunch of multivariate regression analysis. And yeah, that sort of says that protein is definitely the dominant factor. Um, Energy density is also a factor, so you want things to be you know, bulky, have some water, but also other nutrients tend to play a role. So we seem to have a craving for nutrients like potassium and calcium. So, yeah, the satiety per calorie that Diet Doctors is um, promoting at the moment is Ted Naiman um, really just taking the P ratio, which is protein percent, and just sort of amping that up a little bit to say that there's other factors in the equation, not just protein that can help people more to feel full and, uh, you know, not as hungry again sooner. So, yeah, you, you just basically lose interest in food for longer and that's a good thing. Yeah, in the Western world or the westernized world. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. It's We're set up to fail in the current ultra-processed environment where it's all just this starch, sugar, refined seed oils with a few flavors and colorings and a few vitamins thrown in to make it make the label look a bit better. And uh, yeah, we're, it's designed for us to fail and we have to reverse engineer that to survive in the modern food environment. Out of curiosity, or actually before I ask that question, I was just going to clarify for the listeners that yeah. the optimizer data is from your own client base as well. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we've got um, yeah, 4,000 people have used Nutrient Optimizer in our classes, so we get data from them entering their food. So we get the macronutrient and micronutrient data, and I can back-analyze that. It's like, hee, 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 all this cool data to understand the success factors of people who are able to eat less, and then you can reverse engineer your food choices to, to help people to mimic those people that were able to do it. You know, it's it's a very rare thing that uh, in today's society we're not, but we're able to not overeat. So yeah. what are those people doing and how do we copy them with numbers? Well, oh, and the question I was just going to ask before is along that idea of, of like, so you, you're identifying this set of micronutrients and electrolytes mm. that you know, mm. contribute to the state of satiation, um, you know, and feeling full and losing interest in food for a little while. With the modern food environment, yep. are those foods working in the opposite direction in the sense of, you know, does chocolate increase your desire for food? Is, is the nutrient profile of those bliss point foods working in the opposite direction to satiety? Yeah, sort of. I think you've got two ways of looking at, at that. 
One is lower protein foods with a combination of fat and carbs together drive this super physiological dopamine response where you tend to overeat those foods. They fill your fat fuel tank and your glucose fuel tank at the same time. Your body goes, yeah, we're preparing for winter. This is amazing. We can store fat like there's no tomorrow. And that happens around the clock. But at the same time, our food system has, you know, we're growing foods more quickly with fertilizers and the like and we're giving no um, consideration to the the micronutrient, particularly the mineral quality of those foods. They're growing quicker in soils that have been degraded and you've got less of a, a soil microbiome. So the roots of those foods can't take up the nutrients that are in the soils and get into our plant-based foods and the little animals that eat those that we sometimes eat can't get them either. So yeah, we're just not getting the same amount of nutrition in our food. So it's sort of a Ted describes it as a hedonic factor that those fat and carbs together drive hyperphagia of overeating. Uh, but at the same time, I think there's a longer term we're craving those minerals, the potassium, the calcium, the sodium that we don't get as much of from our food anymore. Why do those electrolytes um, play such a role in satiety? Like how does that functionally work? Yeah, I mean, you you think of a very interesting question, Maddie. But uh, <laughs> you think of the the protein. We need protein as a structural element of our body, mm-hmm. and that's sort of why I think it's a dominant factor. Because if you lose muscle mass, you're sort of dying, and your body goes, "Well, I need more protein. I don't care how I get it. If you give me those donuts, I'll just keep eating the donuts till I get enough protein." But at the same time, you've got your bones, the calcium in your bones is a major structural component of your body. And if you don't get enough calcium, your body goes, hey, about time we get some calcium. Potassium is a really interesting one. It seems potassium is a major mineral we crave, similar to sodium. You think you've got a taste for sodium, but you need a a balance between potassium and calcium. So it seems we crave both. And then in the, I've been digging into the low-fat data, and if you just look at low-fat peeps, it seems they crave iron and uh, vitamin C as well as dominant nutrients. So if you design a diet that has the iron and vitamin C and calcium and potassium and protein with a lower energy density, uh, we t- tend to be satiated with less energy. And yeah, you think back to the the original randomized controlled trial with James Lynn in 1860 of vitamin C and and the, the chaplain on the ship for these sailors, they, he describes them as jumping off the ship and indulging all these melons and, and fruits and plant-based foods that had the vitamin C they need with you know, luxurious indulgence. It's like these guys were, because they didn't have enough vitamin C from the foods they had on the ship, got scurvy, a whole bunch of them died. But when they could get hold of those, they went nuts for them. But most of the time we don't we're not that deficient in vitamin C. But you think maybe there's a a degree of uh in our modern ultra processed environment where nobody's eating fruit and veggies, then there might be a degree of that as well. And yeah, you look at the USDA lists potassium, iron, vitamin C, um, calcium as the major deficiencies and uh, nutrients of concern and those seem to be the ones that pop up in the multivariate analysis so it's like oh this is so cool yeah the analysis aligns with 
with with what the mainstream nutrition is recommending as the nutrients we need more of. So if we get foods that contain more of those nutrients, particularly they solve the satiety equation, but you also get all the other nutrients along for the ride. Have you ever read The Dorito Effect? I love, love Mark Schatzka. Yeah. He's amazing. Like he, his concept is completely mind-blowing and um, his more recent book, and I interviewed him on my podcast. I think he's got some really interesting, unique thoughts. And I always say uh, you know, ultra-processed food is just food that is, is masquerading as I'm bastardizing the, the quote, but, you know, food that it's making out to be something it's not. And and in the Dorito effect, he goes through and says, you know, they we worked out how to make a Dorito taste like, make, make bland corn taste like Doritos and taste amazing through flavor chemicals. And it doesn't contain the nutrients, but it's alluding to it. It's like, you know, I don't know. I yeah. was going to say. His, his stuff is amazing. But as you were talking there about the guys getting off the ship and going in, intuitively towards vitamin C-rich foods, it reminded me mm. of a um, one of the chapters in that book because the, they talk mm. about this study that was done with these kids where they had access to all of the different food and mm. they, they were monitored on how with no mm. restriction, no limitation, and mm. that when they felt different things, they went towards different foods. When they were sick, they went towards vitamin uh, C foods and, and various conclusions were made. and part of the conclusion of that uh, particular study, which I think was in the 60s, was that yeah. the doctor or professor, one of them that was involved, said this Clarity. is the healthiest group of children I've ever seen in my life um, mm. because of that sort of nutritional wisdom, which sounds a little bit woo-woo, but there's heaps of studies that back that up. Yeah, all these kids just went nuts for all these different random foods, but they were, Clara Davis got, these kids in an orphanage when they were newly weaned so they didn't know that you know liver tasted awful and cod <laughs> liver oil tasted awful um so they went oh i feel a bit sick i'll drink some cod liver oil and that kid who was sick drunk the cod liver oil until he wasn't didn't need the vitamin a anymore and then stopped drinking the cod liver oil so, oh smart kid i wonder if humans in the wild could do that without being drowned out with these ultra processed foods that are flavored and colored to make them look like they've got nutrients. So yeah, we're, we're, we're challenged and a um, little bit of numbers and data and quantification helps us identify the foods that actually contain the nutrients we need. Yeah. Well, I guess when we're in this world where they are, all these foods are masquerading as something else and the mm. flavor of a Dorito or the flavor of a shape, you know, we have shapes in Australia. Mm. I don't know if they're everywhere else, but is telling your brain that it's actually barbecued beef, then mm. you know, no wonder there's this satiation gap because the the brain is expecting one thing and the gut mm. is receiving another. And and you know, you can have that same conversation around um, sugar and artificial sweeteners yeah. that, that trigger the brain and you know the body behaves in a way that is not appropriate for what's actually there. Yeah, and the umami effect, the MSG that's in a lot of junk food is just um, Robin Harman Simpson talk about it as a protein decoy that it makes it taste like it's got protein in it, but it doesn't have protein. So we go, oh, I keep on eating this to get my protein. And it's like when well, it's a it's a Dorito, dude. It doesn't have protein, <laughs> but it's flavored to taste like it does. So sucked in, too bad for you. We make more money because you bought more Doritos, hoping it would give you protein, but it doesn't. Interestingly, the, the Clara Davis study you're talking about, after she died, they just destroyed all her records that she meticulously what? kept. Who did? 
I don't know. Whoever just said this study doesn't. Uh, isn't Coca Cola probably? <laughs> I don't know. Let's start a conspiracy. But I mean, that, that, that's the priority of nutrition research. I think that's the most fascinating study that you can do. And yes. Shatsker actually picked it up again recently um, with Jeffrey Brunston in the in the UK. And uh, Brunston said, "I think you're wrong, Mark." And he said, oh, "Let's do a study," and and found that he didn't get we- newly weaned. Infants, because that wouldn't pass the um, what is it, the, 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 ethics. the board, the, uh, ethics board. But they showed pictures of complementary foods and found that people chose foods that had complementary nu- micronutrient profile. And once they got enough of a certain nutrient, they went, "I don't need that anymore." So it was all like a, a computer-based thing. But it was interesting to see that we still seem to have that ability to search out the nutrients we need and that's sort of what we try to do with our optimizers is go what nutrients are you not getting as much of and which foods and meals do they can contain them and let's prioritize those and go oh new food i don't usually eat that it's like yeah that's because it's got the nutrients you need and uh give it a crack and then they start doing it and go oh it's so satiated this is great well and if you remove the sugar addiction and dopamine addiction that we've got uh, you know, mentally associated with other foods. Yep. If the brain is, and goes straight to the satiation conversation, if the brain is conditioned that this food triggers satiation on a whole another level, irrelevant of it not supplying it, then of course the actual whole real food in front of you is going to look less appealing because you're like, oh no, the button gets pushed further with, you know, these things in the bright green box. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's an artificial dopamine yeah. from the food. And uh, you don't actually get the satiation; you just get the dopamine hit. So you're you're screwed. I wonder if um, chefs could tap into this as part of their business model: how to get the perfect combination of this food and that food, so people leave feeling just you know completely holistically satisfied. <laughs> yeah, I think that's what you get from a really good restaurant. But I think most food manufacturers want the opposite; they want to design foods that want to make you eat more, mm. so you uh, keep on coming back. But yeah, I think you have to pay a bit extra for a good restaurant with the the, the shrimp and the lobster and the well cooked <laughs> liver and the that's why fresh the, the more luxury the restaurant, like, the smaller the food. <laughs> but it's got so many more nutrients per calorie yeah. in those foods. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So on that protein conversation too, yeah. what where and I, and I know it's going to be different for everybody, and there's a there's a breadth of data out there. But when it comes to building a plate, dinner time at home, normal sort of everyday person. You know, where do we begin and end with how much protein we're putting on the plate and, you know, how much of a priority in a meal should it be? So picture this, right? Unlocking your potential, conquering emotional eating and gaining insights directly from a health and nutrition expert such as myself. That's what we do inside the Healthy Mums Collective Facebook group, which is currently free to join. If you've ever felt trapped by food challenges, struggled with maintaining a healthy lifestyle, or yearned for a community that understands the reasons why you've yo-yo dieted for years, then there's a new chapter waiting to be written. And this is your chance to start writing it by joining us all on Facebook Lives, on engaging posts that push you out of your comfort zone and into growth, and Q&A sessions with me. All of this works as a platform to begin changing your emotional eating problems for good. Oh, and also, as a special gift, you receive my transformative How to Turn Food into Self-Confidence ebook. And that's also for free. I get it. Skepticism might linger. You might think, Maddie, I've heard these ads and I'm not sure. Well, 
at least a quarter of the members inside the Healthy Mums Collective Facebook group have been paying clients of my emotional eating program at some point over the last three or four years. So if you're not sure, you can post in the group and ask to find out if I'm the real deal or not. It's totally up to you. To join us in the free Healthy Mums Collective and to end your emotional eating and feel good in your own skin and begin that journey, pop down to the show notes below, click the link and breeze through three simple entry questions. Join today and let's embark on a journey of growth and empowerment. The link is in the show notes below. Yeah, um, first priority is, is, uh, is the answer there. And every meal should consider where am I getting my protein in this meal? Uh, and if you're trying to lose weight, then working your way up to 30, 40% protein, 50% protein is, is a really good strategy. Average American sits about 12%, sorry, 15% protein. 12% is the maximum intake. So, you know, average Americans are a bit confused. They can go left or go right, higher, lower protein, and neither are really going to help them. You have to sort of get up above, you know, 20% might be maintenance, say, and then 30, 40 is sort of a weight loss mode if you're trying to lose weight. So, yeah, you, you want to think, where am I getting my protein? And then you want enough energy, but not too much energy from fat and carbs. So yeah, mm-hmm. don't start with the donut. Start <laughs> with the steak or the seafood, and uh, add some add as many non-starchy green veggies and fresh food around that protein as you can, and go nuts on both of those. And if you're still hungry, then a bit of energy from whatever you can tolerate a little bit of sometimes food after you've chowed down on a mountain of non-starchy veggies and, and some steak or seafood. Yeah, it's making me hungry. <laughs> <laughs> should come to Queensland. We'll go to a steak steakhouse. Oh, I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to come up there. I might even move there. And we Meet can... you in person. Yeah, that would cool. be great. I can't believe we haven't met in person. I'm actually about to go on a trip overseas, and actually maybe when this comes out, I'll be overseas. But um, And I'm meeting some of the people across the world that have connected through the podcast, which is really cool. It's crazy when you meet people in person you've talked to on Zoom and the like a million times and then you go, you're just the same. This is crazy. I feel like I've met you, but I've never met you in person. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's a great experience. Got yeah. all these connections and you've never seen their legs. It's weird. <laughs> <laughs> My God, you've got legs. <laughs> I got to meet Sean Baker in Denver and it's like, ooh, you are, you are the real deal. You are huge. Yeah, he would be a huge dude. Yeah, he's the real deal. <laughs> Um, so electrolyte supplementation, is that something yeah. that we can do to hack the I'm full feeling? Ah, oh, I think it's beneficial. Um, I think it's, you know, don't hold back on the as many whole foods. Uh, you know, your, your magnesium and potassium is the non-starchy green veggie sort of thing if you want to add that, um, fresh vegetables. Are going to give you those um, minerals, uh, potassium, sodium, calcium. Calcium isn't great to supplement. The the studies sort of show that taking bolus of calcium gives you calcium where you don't really want it, but eating calcium from dairy, um, you know, has a much better effect. So yeah, lower fat dairy is a good way to get um, satiation calcium without as much fat if you're trying to lose body fat. Um, I use, you know, some potassium, magnesium, sodium sort of supplement that I make up in my drinking water, mix a whole bunch of stuff together and add it to my drinking water 
in addition to trying to eat well. So, yeah, you can definitely do that. It helps you if you're doing a lot of exercise particularly. Yeah. But you're probably not going to get the same satiation effect as eating the whole food that comes with the, the fiber and the the bulk and the protein. So don't rely on supplements for satiety. You've got to really get it from whole food. You, the, you know, plenty of processed drinks out there, soylent not, and the like, but people don't get lean and, and shredded from just drinking gloop. They, they get it from eating real food. Yeah, well, I think, and maybe this is a good question for you actually, but I think, you know, a lot of people do the protein shakes um, and have done the smoothie thing for a year and it's something that's mm. been promoted since probably the 80s. Um, yep. But it's the, I think, you know, one of those selling points that many of the companies try and go with is that makes you feel full for longer, but it's still yep. just a liquid. It, it really lacks yep. the bulk for the stomach to yep. do that physical work. So where do protein yep. powders sit in your world on that spectrum of, of satiation yep. and providing the right amount of protein and whatnot? Yeah, I think they can be useful to top up and be a supplement, especially if you're working out, if you're lifting heavy and you're eating a lot of calories, you need more calories to recover mm-hmm. if you want to bulk up. But if you're trying to to lean out, I think you definitely need to prioritize the whole food sources of protein and the powders are a, a processed food source. The whey powder is a waste product from you know milk processing and just think of it as a fairly highly processed food that will go through you pretty quickly and doesn't contain the, the vitamins and minerals like your whole food sources of protein would. So it's a bit of a, yeah, it's probably a good supplement, but whole food is better. Yeah. I, Don't rely on it. I feel the same. <laughs> yes, we agree. How nice. How lovely. <laughs> I need to get more people on here that I disagree with, though, because those episodes are entertaining. <laughs> so, um, I'm curious as well. I read in one of your articles that you sent over in the last few days, actually, um, you touched and you touched on it here in this conversation. But if you're on, you know, like a vegan diet or a fruitarian diet, mm. and there's because a lot of people debate, and I've actually had somebody on my show that very much believes the idea of protein deficiencies a myth pushed by disgusting, you know, carnivorous humans, blah, blah, blah. Um, But the idea that, you know, you can survive on these diets and people seem to present themselves as relatively healthy and together, whether that's true Mm. on on a, you know, nutrition panel or not. But, you know, how how do people manage to survive on such protein, low protein diets? Yeah, well, um, it's very interesting, Maddie. Um, I just... As you alluded to, I just published a article on on where protein leverage breaks, and and when I got this additional data from the NHANES data set, ten percent of Americans, which is what the NHANES data is from, the average American, ten percent of them are getting less than ten percent protein, which is the minimum to prevent deficiency. But if you get down to eight percent, you actually eat. 500 calories less per day than someone on a 12% junk food diet. So if you're eating just fruit and, you know, lettuce and spinach and asparagus at 8% protein, which is really hard to get to, you can eat a lot less just because you're eating a lot, um, a lot of whole food that's 
has very low energy density, probably has a, a reasonable vitamin profile, but I think overall your, your B12 and omega-3 and a bunch of interesting vitamins like that that are good for mental health and thriving aren't probably there, but you may be lean, and that's why I think a lot of the, the hardcore plant-based vegans and fruitarians are leaner than your average you know, McDonald-frequenting American on 12% protein, which is the, the perfect junk food ratio. So 12% protein and 40% carbs just seems to be that perfect sweet spot with the rest from fat that your body goes, yeah, this is perfect to keep on storing energy. Um, and we eat the, eat the most and, and store the most with that macro combo. But if you get down to 8% protein, you're going to eat less and store less. And the, the glucose and fructose, and as much as you keep using sugar as a swear word, you know, not much of that, uh, you know, sugar in the fruit is going to end up as body fat just because yeah, it's really hard to convert to body fat. So, um, yeah, and they're eating a lot less. So I think that's why. A lot of people seem to thrive on that very, very, very low protein plant-based approach. So Yeah. And I think as well, it's, you know, with some of those diets, it takes such a long time for nutritional deficiency to become mm. apparent um, mm. that, yeah, mm. I mean, I've had a nutritionist on here before that was vegan for 12, 10 or 12 years and mm. her symptoms didn't show up until like year nine and she was yeah. on the podcast literally saying I now eat eggs and I now eat salmon and um, that she, you know, she had a massive Instagram following and by, mm. because she had to do that for her health, um, otherwise she was going to have some serious issues and her Instagram following just absolutely tore her to shreds. <laughs> yeah, and you can hold on to your fat-soluble vitamins in your body for quite a while. You pee out the, the, a lot of the B vitamins, but ADAK and I think B12 sort of you can store a bit for a while and then 18 months, two years later, they tap out and your body goes, whoa, this is not good. Give me some steak and eggs. Yeah, I've heard of um, both vegans and pregnant women having dreams about eating meat. Mm. Um, it's Apparently it's a thing that happens, which maybe is a manifestation of a nutritional deficiency or something. <laughs> and there's also stories about amnesic eating where they get up and, you know, go to a steakhouse in the middle of the night and sleep <laughs> or something. I don't know. I don't know if those are true, but uh, yeah. Best dream ever. Best dream ever. <laughs> it's good. <laughs> Vegan has an amazing dream where they eat a tomahawk steak in the middle of the night. Oh, I would be getting that person on the podcast. I want to talk to that person. <laughs> <laughs> we could do a therapy session. They're probably traumatized. <laughs> mm -mm. <laughs> Oh man, it's so funny. Um, anyway, um, I guess further, furthermore to that whole um, you know fruitarian conversation, you said before that weight loss really begins you know when you're above twenty percent protein, which then you know, and as we go further and further up the percentage mm -hmm. combinations in this macro, uh, in the you know focusing on the increased macros of protein specifically, in my mind that naturally ends up taking me to a place of the carnivore diet, um, because if we get to you know the eighties, nineties kind of end of the spectrum there's very few vegetables in that domain and now that's arguably as extreme as veganism um, mm. um but obviously you know as every diet dogma does it believes it's better than the rest and so mm. um what what where are you at on the idea of carnivore as a complete nutritional diet or one that's sustainable or one that is not sustainable like where are you at in that conversation yeah i think carnivore is great to give you a ton of bioavailable protein um 
it's hard to go wrong you know eating just steak to get your protein you can have you know and most people get 12% 15% protein and you know carnival you're getting 30 40% protein and you're probably going to have to add some extra fat to get enough energy cuz you're not getting enough energy from the steak alone and that's magical for a lot of people and if they've got a gut issue then that can be really helpful as the ultimate elimination diet but as i mentioned before that the fiber and energy density also come into play and give you a bit of a bonus and then you've got um, minerals that are easier to get from non-starchy veggies so think of you know a good steak or a ton of fish as the the source of protein and most of your calories and then loading that up as much as you can to eat as many veggies and non-starchy veggies and the like that you can on top of that so if you look at the plate it looks like a mountain of veggies but really the energy and protein is coming from the meat and seafood so yeah i'm sort of most people do best on an omnivorous diet um don't deny people are absolutely thriving. If you look at Sean Baker, he's thriving and no disagreements, but I think you probably could do a little bit better with some non-starchy veggies if uh, your gut can tolerate them. So you're going to get more bulk, lower energy density and and more fiber, which is you know seems to have a small beneficial effect for people who eat it. And I think as well, just outside of, you're going outside of just the metabolic conversation when it comes to macronutrients is that, I've seen people go on these extreme diets and carnivore being one of them, which I think is a really good therapeutic tool for someone mm. that's got a really challenging health situation. But if mm. we're just talking your you know, sort of general day-to-day weight loss, I've seen people um, develop resistance to foods that they didn't before. Like they've developed a carb resistance yeah. or a sugar resistance or a, um, or a, a lectin resistance as well that they've never had before because they've just stopped putting this stuff in their gut. The species that support the metabolism of that stuff and the digestion of that stuff end up dying out or going into low quantities. And so there's, you know, other, you know, prolonged effects as well that can happen. And then people end up saying, see, meat isn't good for me. It doesn't, you know, I'm I'm meant to be vegan or I'm meant to be carnivore, you know. Yeah, or or, or they yeah, go on the carnivore diet and they were fragile already and then they eliminate every plant based source of energy and then they have a little bit and then they're really really fragile and react really badly to it so then they go you know see the plants were evil and they were out to kill me so all i can eat forever is muscle meat so yeah yeah you you can get even more fragile like you said if you eliminate everything and i don't think we're meant to be that fragile meant to be Mm anti-fragile but definitely prioritize what your body needs don't don't try to become anti-fragile by eating Doritos, going back to the previous <laughs> conversation. Yeah. I got a question I've been meaning to ask you for a while and I thought, oh, I want to ask this on a podcast because it's, it's, I think it's very, it's very topical in many avenues of the listener's life experience, not just health. But yep. as somebody that is data-driven, writes a lot of yep. articles and yep. blogs and is really good with the written word, what do you think about chat GPT? Because I wow. have been seeing so, I've been sending for getting, being sent by business friends and all that kind of stuff, all of these different ways that we can write articles, prescribe diets with extreme yep. specificity. Yep. And so, and I'm not someone that writes a lot. Obviously, I like to have a good chat and just, you know, yep. 
scream stuff at the top of the hilltops. But yep. as somebody that is into the world of the written word much more than I am, like, how do you, what do you think about chat GPT? What, how do you enga- engage with it? What are the dangers in this space of nutritional yeah. advice? Uh, it's a really good research tool to get the current consensus opinion and it just takes the top 10 articles and consolidates them into three paragraphs, which is great. But I think for me as a writer, like I had a really good podcast that was talking about really all they're doing. Like if you're using that to generate articles to try and get SEO and get uh, more love from Google, all you're doing is taking the consolidated thoughts of everybody else and regurgitating on, on your blog, thinking that it's going to get hits, but then Google is about to come out with their own little um, chat GPT thing, so everything is searched that's common knowledge will come up with Google's summary, which is exactly the same as your blog that you've just copied off chat GPT. So Google is never going to send you traffic or nobody's going to want to read your regurged consensus opinion um, because it's just going to be on Google as the main thing. So I think where writing and blogs becomes more important and human thought and creativity comes in is going, how can we interpret data? How can we create new original thought? And those things will never grow old because you need human creativity in that. So, yeah, I mean, you can do interesting. I got it to make a workout program for me that I went, that's actually pretty good and it's really hard work. And, yeah, I just said, you know, give me, I've got this equipment in my gym. I want these goals and it pumped out something that was pretty cool and just hacked off men's health and a bunch of other websites, consolidated the best of that and it was good. But, um, yeah, I think there's always going to be room for creative humans to know what to do with that data. Yeah, I think as well because we're in this personal brand, um, anybody can do anything type world, which is kind of like, you know, the free market that's not controlled by anyone. The the risk with chat, with things like ChatGPT are that the top 10 articles or the, cons- the, the consensus that has been determined by successful algorithm hacking is mm. less about the truth and more about successful algorithm hacking. Um, mm. And so it's like the top 10 articles that it does take, it's just, advertising companies that are really good at getting their information to the top Mm. whether it be true or not and so the risk is that we start perpetuating things that are simply not true because somebody's just got you know 10 million instagram followers (laughs) yeah or if you consult google on nutrition it just gives you the consensus opinion which we can wrap it on forever about why people believe that and the influences in that and why nutrition world believes that you know only eating plants is the only way and you should chow down on the monounsaturated heart healthy oils and minimize protein and it's yeah i could yeah but we did that in the last podcast where i think <laughs> i ranted for about 45 minutes on that tangent so we won't go there again what, what episode number you'll have to drop to drop the the segue i think it was 167 episode. There you go. Go back and listen to that for 45 minutes of region <laughs> agriculture and belief-based nutrition. <laughs> that was fun. So where can everybody find you on the interwebs if not ChatGPT? Uh, yeah. <laughs> not ChatGPT. Um, I could clone myself. That would be a good way to do it. But, um, yeah, Optimizing Nutrition is my blog where I share all this stuff. Uh, we've got data-driven fasting, uh, which is a challenge that guides people with their blood sugars to guide when and what to eat. Macros Masterclass and a Micros Masterclass and a really good community, really cool community 
of about 8,000 people that, um, yeah, optimize the nutrition community on Mighty Networks that I'm loving and got me off most of social media other than Twitter when I have a transgression and get back on there and go, ooh, that was a waste of time. But, um, <laughs> yeah, that, a really cool community where I've set up all these free resources for people to come in and just take that journey and, and learn how they can go from where they are to improve their nutrition one little bite-sized chunk at a time like Maddie advises, tiny habits, <laughs> one tweak a week. If I just say one tweak a week, can I be called Maddie? <laughs> You know, How many what, times do we need to chant one tweak a week? This conversation is very indicative of you being the annoying big brother. <laughs> Not that old, Maddie. I want to be young. <laughs> no, that's totally fine. For everybody, I will put all of those links down in the show notes below. So get into Marty's world. He's a fantastic human. And um, yeah, obviously, we get along like a house on fire. So you'll love him as much as I do. <laughs> You're fun. Um, and since, uh, since obviously people have heard you talk here before and may already know you, um, I usually say, you know, what is one piece of health information you wish more people knew about? But from this conversation, what would you like them to take away? Like what is one piece of information that if they take nothing else from today's conversation, they take away one thing? Um, I, want pe- I want to start the rumor that nutrition is about nutrients. <laughs> Who knew? It's, I don't know, it's a dumb, dumb idea. That is controversial, Marty. <laughs> and then rather than, you know, avoiding bad things in food like saturated fat and cholesterol and plants and animals and oxalates and, you know, whatever, and restricting what you eat, nutrition is about nourishing your body and giving it exactly what it needs so you can thrive and cut through all the, the bullshit of uh, nutrition advice most of the time and frankenfoods that are flavoured to be masquerading as things that they're not really and trying to trick you into thinking that they've got nutrients that they don't. So, yeah. I like it. Nutrition is about nutrients. What a fallacy. <laughs> so controversial. <laughs> you think that's going to go viral on TikTok? What do I need to do? I don't know. I think you're going to get shamed everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, too good. Well, I appreciate you coming back, Marty. It's always good to catch up. So much fun, Marty. We'll, we'll chat soon. Yeah. Cheers, dude. Thanks for listening to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. If you love this episode and health information is your thing, then please consider subscribing to the show. And when you're done, head over to iTunes, Google Podcast, or whichever app you use, and we'd be grateful if you could leave us a five-star rating and write a review sharing your opinion on the show as it really helps the podcast grow. Thanks so much and I'll see you on the next episode. Whilst the presenter that feature on this podcast endeavour to provide accurate information, it cannot possibly take into account your individual circumstances, and therefore the content on this podcast provided by any of the speakers is not intended as advice in any way for any individual and should not be a replacement for professional medical or health advice of any nature. Always seek advice regarding your personal situation from a qualified medical professional.